This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Two goals in the span of 45 seconds, a blown lead, sloppy mistakes, and another loss. The Islanders can't get it done again, and it seems like this is probably the final nail in the coffin to determine whether or not they had any chance of making the playoffs, and they lose to Vancouver 4-3. Without Matty Barzell, it looked like it was going to be a win to at least give them a little bit of hope, but... I just, it just sloppy mistakes and, and this defense just looks slower and slower. I don't know if they're just tired and just worn down by what has been one of the most grueling seasons in recent memory for this franchise, but they just, they, they go for the puck with really kind of no presence, almost just like skating to the puck, which like chickens with their heads cut off, leaving the slot wide open, giving up rebound goals and just really not having a sense, not having a feel. Uh, it's just been another another brutal season. Uh, excuse me, another brutal loss in what has been a brutal season. And again, just when you think they have a chance, this team has been terrible in the third period all season long. They have no clutch gene. I don't know what it is. And any optimism I had on the last Islanders four check, Chris, it has been wiped away. This is the latest nail in the coffin of a very, very difficult season. They, you know, they, they, it's become a sports cliche ever since I believe it was Bill Parcells who said it. But there does come a point where you are what your record says you are, for better or worse. And maybe no team recently, at least in the ones that I follow, exemplify that more than this season's New York Islanders. Look, they have their moments. They have these a period here, maybe even a game there where you say, oh, man, it, it looks like they're finally getting back to what they were, but they don't. And two things about what Barry Trott said Thursday night after the loss. He said that he thought the boys deserved a point. No, they didn't deserve a point. They lost the game. They got outplayed. They played at times well, but nowhere near close to a 60-minute effort. And the object is to score the freaking goals, guys, right? And Vancouver made a Vancouver gave the Islanders a gift. Uh, Brock Besser just gave it away to to Beauvillier for the giveaway, uh, go, go ahead goal. And then they scored two goals in 45 seconds. So you don't deserve anything, okay? The, the game in Colorado, nice effort, crazy bounces, uh, disputable video replay oh i get it but let's just stop let's please stop with this they deserve a point thing and then the other thing this is really telling is barry trotz and he means this he's warm about this group he says i like this team they haven't quit on me they continue to work they give an honest effort we could debate whether that's true for all of them or even across the board but i, I get what he's saying but when your coach is saying that and you continue to lose, well, what does that say about your roster? So let's go a couple of weeks before the trade deadline, get what you can get, 
for the players that are wanted and available and sheddable and let's start looking to next season and this offense really quickly here the last thing before we move on to a story from the athletic uh, involving Lou Lamorello and his decisions here over the next couple of weeks you know this offense which has struggled to score two goals in a game at times you know scores three goals the last two games and this defense has not held up their end of the bargain given up five and another loss that they probably should have won against Colorado and then again on Thursday night and, you know, giving up five to L.A., giving up four to San Jose, giving up six to Buffalo. I mean, we've seen it all year. It's just this is a totally different team than we ever thought they were going to look like, a totally different team from last year. And, you know, again, I know that the talent that's on the ice, so this is just a, a brutal year, one that you just hope you can hide in the annals of history when you look back, and hopefully they bounce back next year. But, yeah, I want to bring up this this article Chris, that you and I have have read and you sent to me, um, you know, on Devin Tays and how much he still loves Lou Amarello. And, you know, and then it turns into, you know, basically the decisions that Lou's going to make on this team and on this roster. And, you know, he basically said for the time being, he's going to stay put. And and I get it. Okay. So the, the, the background to something like that is the team's on the road. There are two outlets that cover the team regularly, only two. The Athletic, Kevin Kurz, Newsday, Andrew Gross. Both good fellows do a good job. So when you're the team, you want to reward the people who cover you regularly. And believe me, I've been there with that Islander spot. It's not a lot of people. So you make at their request, I'm sure they've requested Lou for a while to get his take. You make them available to those guys. You don't need to make a big press conference out of it. So if when I say reward, I mean they're readers, right? So they kind of get a double exclusive, right? And Lou says what he's going to say. One, he can't say anything to devalue the players that he is going to move. He's also not going to do anything to make the team so down or feel so bad about themselves when they have so many games left to play, about 30 games left to play. So he said what he said, you know, I know some people took it as, oh, he's not going to do anything. No. Okay. The trade deadline, until the trade deadline comes, do I think he could start making moves now if he gets the right offers? Of course. And I think he will. But publicly, his posture has to be what it was in that article, uh, which was written extensively by Kevin and The Athletic, uh, but good job by both reporters. So I get it. Does that mean that he's going to stay put? No. Uh, If he winds up not making many deals, it's because he feels like he didn't get enough. I get that. But that doesn't change the fact that in these final weeks leading up to the trade deadline, and we're going to continue to do four checks up until then, whether you fucking like it or not, Pat Boyle, we're going to do these. Um, (laughs) there, There will be moves, and then we'll do one more after the trade deadline to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, to me, when it comes down to this here, really quickly before we have Jamie Rivers coming on, the only untouchable guys for me, Barzell, Nelson, you know, and I think, the article, I, I I think it was pretty perfectly written uh, in terms of the guys who are untouchable. I totally agree. Barzi, Nelson, Pellick, Pulak, Dobson, and then maybe I'd say it's a stretch to put Palmieri and Bailey in there. I would have Pajot, Palmieri, Bailey, anybody else on this roster, um, and obviously not including Sorokin, is free game. Is free game to be traded? I don't think it's breaking up the core. There's obviously massive changes that need to be made 
outside of the core of this team because they're just not a they're not a good hockey team this year. They don't have depth. They're slow on defense, and everything that they had last year, especially the supporting cast, is just no longer there. It's just no longer there. Yeah, no strength down the middle with the centers, uh, like you named uh, the defenders that you named Dobson and the uh, Pelican Bullock. Anybody else, it's nice. It's really nice. It's actually really impressive, and it almost sounds condescending. What Zach Preece's done over these last few weeks has really uh, been eye-opening and great to see. You, you, you're Lou Lamorello. You take that as a gift, and if that means you can get a few teams interested in him, and I know there will be. You do the best that you can uh, to get the most that you can for Zach Parisi. Palmieri? If somebody says, you know what, I'm okay with that contract, I see what's there, and you can move them, I would say try to move them. Could Palmieri be a good Islander for these next four years? Sure. But I think you start to clear the decks, keep the core, uh, rejigger some things, retool the team, and come back for your bounce-back season, which I believe there's no – well, there is no reason why they can't have a bounce-back season. Put yourself in the best position to do that. Yeah, and I think, too, the number one piece that has to get moved, and again, we'll we'll talk about, we've been talking about trades and trade deadlines and for the last couple of weeks here. Um, I don't see how any way Varlamov stays on this team. I just think it's a waste of space if you're not getting something in return for him. You know, just from the talks that you've had, Chris, with the folks that you know, have you heard anything on if, if that seems like it's an imminent deal? I know there's a lot. I don't know if it's imminent because in terms of the Islanders' commitment to make that move, I personally think they should, but there is interest. There will continue to be. If you're the Islanders, that's why you have scouts. That's why you have at least two goaltending coaches plus a development coach. You go in and you find a good backup. They are available. Goalies move all the time. This, is, uh, this isn't this is a team. You know, the Rangers are getting by just fine with one goalie and say primarily leading the way, and so are 10 other really good teams in this league. So uh, it's a, it's a, a great thing to have the two guys. I get that, but the Islanders, it's a luxury. They can no longer afford move them with this one year left. I believe there's a good chance. He's going to is going to move. Okay. And then just the last thing here too, because we know next year is the final of a five-year contract with Barry Trotz. And I think anybody, again, as frustrating as it has been, because I think it's a very similar situation to the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau, and I'm a big Knicks fan, and they have both had equally infuriating and depressing seasons. But I think, again, the last thing that would help this team is firing Barry Trotz. I think he's obviously coming back for that fifth and final year. I mean, if anything, maybe it's a little motivation. If Barry wants to stay and thinks they can win a Stanley Cup, he's obviously going to be giving his 100%, his all, knowing that, hey, I'm coaching for possibly one more contract before I retire. 100% he'll be back next season. And you know what? If it goes on long enough, then he will have the opportunity to be a free agent. He was a free agent once before, or he found his way out once before, and he left Washington to join the Islanders. So anything could happen. But Barry Trotz will be the head coach of this team next season. Okay. And that'll do it for our first segment. We do have Jamie Rivers coming up next here on the other side of this break. It's Chris Botta. It's Pat Boyle. It is Islanders 4-Check, a bonus series here of Hockey Press Pass. We'll be right back. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, 
we have it all. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Back on Islanders Forecheck and Pat, I am so happy to bring on a friend. Uh, did a, a full season with the Islanders. Uh, he endured it. We endured it together. <laughs> and uh, he's gone on. He had a really good NHL career. And now he is everywhere in St. Louis. Uh, not only is he the owner and lead instructor at his own company, Synergy Hockey, where he develops players, including NHLers in their prime, uh, but he's co-host of the Fast Lane on ESPN Radio. He's a, a host of the Last Minute Blues podcast, which kicks ass does really well. And he's doing a lot of work on Valley Sports as an analyst, pregame, postgame, when Panger's out. Uh, and it's just, a, it's just a treat to see him. And Jamie Rivers, how's it going? I'm good, buddy. It's great to see you, boss. It's been a long time, my man. It's really, really, really good. I got so much to ask you, but it just it does turn out that the Islanders and Blues play each other on Saturday, so this works out beautifully. I wish I could say I totally planned it that way. But the, you know, the first thing I could think of is this game's at 12.30, and I know Islander fans cringe when they see 12.30, 2 o'clock start times. It, it feels like the Islanders have lost more than they won those games. As a player, what is it like those twelve thirty games, and how does that change your routine? Yeah, uh, personally, I always loved the early games. I, I've never been a fan of the morning skate. I, you know, it's just kind of we all know the origin of it was to have the boys sweat it out way back when, and then it kind of turned into a practice, which was kind of weird because. You go out there and you skate hard, and then you have lactic acid buildup. So you're trying to get rid of the lactic acid, trying to get your pregame nap, trying to get back into the game situation for later on that evening. I don't know. I just call me old school, but I've never been a real big fan of the pregame skate. So I love the afternoon. You get out there, you get up, you get a, a nice little meal in, and you get to the rink and got lots of energy. No excuses. Should be ready to go. And then you're done for the day. You go up for a nice dinner after bots, maybe a nice bottle of wine, all those good things. We're going to see if you become the fifth Islander or sixth former Islander in a row to mention a particular Italian restaurant in the, in the call, but you, you were on the team one year. So I have to, you know, remember that, but you made an impact, man, because when I actually, I was like, Oh man, he was only with us one year. So <laughs> that, but that's a compliment to you. Cause I know your favorite bands. We had laughs. Probably, I think we might add an argument or two, which happens when when <laughs> when you're not winning, when you're 24 and 48. But um, the Islanders are—they uh, just haven't been able to get it together this season. Everyone knows the reasons. Uh, part of its roster, part of its missing guys, COVID, opening the season on the road. They've started to level off, is what I guess you would call maybe a good team who could win on any night. Uh, what? How would you look at this Blues? Islanders matchup Saturday at 1230 at UBS Arena. Yeah, I think it's actually an interesting matchup because, you know, to your point, the Islanders have underperformed this year for whatever reasons, you know, you know, check all the boxes that you want to check. They just haven't been what they should have been because quite honestly, I thought start of the season or before that they would be a contender 
in the East. I thought that Barry Trotz with the job that he did and the players, how well they played last year, and then bringing back Big Z, I thought that, uh, you know, that would bode well for the Islanders. It just hasn't. But that doesn't mean they're not able to play that way. And so when I look at this, and I really hate the term trap game because I feel like it's disrespectful to the the one team involved in it, which in this case would be the Islanders, because uh, I think they are a better team than what they've played like so far this season. So for the Blues, this is a game where, you know, hopefully they have a little bit of bounce back in them. They had a, a good game against the Rangers, had a solid uh, second period, to say the least, three goals and three shots. They were lighting it up pretty quickly on Shesterkin. But then they, you know, they handed the game back to the Rangers in the third period. So that probably didn't sit well with Craig Berube and the rest of the Blues team. So that they should be ready to go. And the Islanders probably should be ready to go. They've had a lot more bumps in the road than they would have liked so far. So I'm looking forward to an exciting game. I think you got two teams that, you know, one wants to bounce back with the Blues and the other team in the Islanders, they want to start creating some kind of momentum for their season. Uh, and as if the Islanders, you know, now they're going to face a team that's still stinging from the game against the Rangers, <laughs> like you said, right? Does that, as a, as a player... Uh, that does hold, right? And I imagine Craig, who we know a little bit, is going to stay on them for that, right? Like, it, it's uh, we need to get back those two points we coughed up the other night. Is that is that the approach? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Chief is all about compete, compete, compete. 60-minute games, 200-foot game, all the things that you want your team to have as an identity. Well, that's exactly what Chief holds him accountable for. And this team has been that. The Blues really have been that team that – really has competed hard since the moment Craig took over as interim head coach. And we all know how that went. We end up raising the Stanley Cup at the end of the season. Well, the expectations haven't changed. So to lose a game on the road where, you know, you're ahead by a goal and you're a team that's supposed to be competing, not only over the Western Conference, but overall in the NHL, you don't let those games slide away on you. And Billy Husso's been playing really well this year. Jordan Bennington bouncing back the last couple of games. Yeah, this is going to be a big game for the St. Louis Blues, and I guarantee that Ryan O'Reilly, who performed so well the other night, actually, I thought he was incredible against the Rangers. He's your captain. He's your identity. He wasn't very happy following the game, so I can guarantee that that feeling is mutual from the top of the organization right to the bottom. So, yeah, unfortunately for the Islanders, the Blues are going to be ready to roll. There was a, a couple of weeks or at least a couple of days last summer where every team started to fantasize about what it would look like to have Vladimir Tarasenko in their lineup on their first line. And then it didn't happen. Things patched up there. There wasn't a deal to be made. Um, but what has Tarasenko been like this season and where do, and I'm sure you're asked this every time, everywhere you go, every show you're on. Uh, but you know, what is the, what do you think happens going forward from here? Well, Vladimir Tarasenko has been fantastic this season. So, uh, look, everybody kind of knows the rumors that, that that came out in the offseason where he wasn't happy with certain medical procedures here in St. Louis, uh, wasn't happy in particular with his role last season when he came back from injury, uh, wasn't happy not getting the C put on his jersey, and then had requested a trade. And that's kind of weird to have that set up in the off season. And then Doug Armstrong, to his credit, just kind of held on to his hand. Didn't overplay it. Uh, didn't go out completely shopping 
Vladimir Tarasenko, I'm sure behind closed doors, he had a lot of phone calls with different people. But he banked on the fact that Vladimir Tarasenko, who is a highly competitive individual, would want to come back and show everybody, including Doug Armstrong, that he's still the guy that you know he drafted a long time ago. He's still the dynamic player in the NHL that can put up points and compete on a nightly basis. And that's what he's done. He's been awesome. He, you know, you can always tell when Vladimir Tarasenko is going because he's on he's on his toes. He's leaning forward. He's skating. He's driving the offense. He's in on the forecheck. He's creating turnovers, and he's leading. He looks more like a leader now than he ever has before. So for a guy who wanted the C on his jersey, I never really felt like he displayed the leadership necessary to be the top dog. This year, he's displayed a lot of great leadership, in particular with some of the younger Russian guys, Pavel Buchnevich, who's been incredible for the Blues. Ivan Barbashev is having a career year for the St. Louis Blues. A lot of that has been driven by Vladimir Tarasin. He's been fantastic in the room. Uh, the guys have rave reviews of his attitude, his practice habits. So, you know, when, when I look at Big Daddy Vladdy here, he's doing a, a real good job for the St. Louis Blues, and now he's reasserting himself as a force in the NHL. Pat, I know you had a question about uh, the former Ranger that Jamie just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously didn't do anything when they played uh, played the blue shirts uh, in the Garden the other night, but, you know, comes staying in New York, comes back to New York to play the Islanders and the Devils. Um, you know, I feel like the consensus amongst most blue fan, Blues fans is they love the trade. You know, they love the trade for Buchnevich to come here. He's having the best season of his career. Uh, I saw a little quick, brief video tribute they did to him at the Garden, but um, overall, you know, getting Bucci in uh, St. Louis, what what have you thought, uh, your thoughts on that trade and how it's worked out? Well, yeah, how it's worked out has been incredible for the St. Louis Blues, and I think everybody here was under the impression that you're getting a really good player, a very solid 200-foot player, you know, penalty kill, very solid defensively. But even Craig Berube, who I talked to on a weekly basis on our show uh, on the fast lane, he came on and I asked him point blank, you know, did you really think this is what you were getting? And he was honest. He said, look, we we do our scouting, we do our our background checks, we do all the video watching and all that. But we had no idea that he could be as elite as he is, as a passer and as a puck handler. And his possession time is off the charts. He does a fantastic job of not turning the puck over. He creates on the penalty kill more than any other St. Louis Blues player. He drives the offense when you're down a man, which is crazy to even think that. I just think that quietly, because he's not a very boisterous guy at all. He's, he's just quietly, he's become... You know, one of the top players here for the St. Louis Blues. And you look at the stats, obviously that speaks volumes. But I, I, I think, honestly, I think he's just scratching the surface still. He looks like a guy that is just getting comfortable in his role as a go-to guy on a team. And the best part about it is he doesn't have to be that guy every night. He's got Thomas, he's got Cairo, O'Reilly, Braden Shen. He's got a great supporting cast around him. So he can quietly just continue to develop and even evolve still as a player. And I think we're seeing that. He did a fantastic – even the other night, that's a tough job, playing against your former team. I know. I played against my former teams a lot. I got moved around quite a bit. Some would say a suitcase. I would say wanted commodity. Um, but nonetheless, it's not easy to go up against your former team. And, you know, he had five shots on net. He ended up with a bit of a breakaway there. I thought he played really well. I've been nothing but absolutely impressed by Pavel Buchnevich. 
And we are going to talk about your time on the Islanders. I just did want to follow up with Tarasenko. Is it just wide open? Like nobody could, regardless of what's been said or rumored, is it still wide open as to what happens with his future? And then just out of curiosity, and I'm really actually not trying to be cute here, but is Tarasenko the kind of player who could fit in on any line? You know, we, we look at Barzal because Barzal, excuse me, Matthew Barzal, because he's so shifty and a unique player and holds on to the puck for a long time, that maybe there has to be a certain player to be able to fit with him. Is Tarasenko the kind of guy who could fit with anybody? All right, to answer the first part of your question, Bots, I don't think Tarasenko is going anywhere. I really don't think it, I mean, I've asked this question to myself, even, you know, what, who do you replace him with? Because if you trade Vladimir Tarasenko, you're trading one of your most dynamic, productive players off your roster. You better darn well fill that spot with somebody else. But who is that? And who's going to make that trade one for one? Is there another disgruntled player in the NHL that's as good as Vladimir Tarasenko? Maybe statistically, but at least you know what you have here in Vladimir Tarasenko. It's not the unknown. And he's performing at a very you know, elite level right now. So I don't think he goes anywhere at all. If there is any movement, it might be in the offseason. But I think this this can be rekindled. I think that Doug Armstrong sitting down with Vladimir Tarasenko and his representatives and, you know, going over this season and how well it went, and hopefully it ends up going even better and do a long playoff run, sometimes that changes people's minds. And hopefully Vladimir Tarasenko has a change of heart. I certainly think Doug Armstrong would rather keep him in a blue note. So I predict that he doesn't go anywhere, at least during this season. As far as a player to to be on his line, Vladimir Tarasenko operates well with high IQ hockey players. And, you know, over the years, the Blues have tried to match him up with a certain passer type centerman. Uh, you know, they tried, they went and acquired Paul Stasny, thought that would be maybe a match made in heaven. It was great. It wasn't a match made in heaven, though. And when I look at this season, he's been with guys who have been able to hang on to the puck, make plays. It's not a chip and chase game. It's not a dump it in and go get it. It's not necessarily a cycle game. He likes to possess the puck. I mean, I think that if you look at Russian players in general, when they come up, the skilled players anyways, they like to possess the puck. I mean, think back bots to the Detroit Red Wings days. Even I caught the tail end of it in Detroit. Those guys never wanted to give the puck up. Heck, they'd pass it all the way back to the goalie rather than give the puck up. Vladimir Tarasenko is is no different. He needs guys around him that can think the game at a level that he can. And right now, he's been paired up with Robert Thomas for most of the season, who, hey, look, I don't think it's a secret anymore. Robert Thomas is one of the most gifted passers in the NHL, and he creates time and space out there because his edge work is incredible. He can spin and turn on a dime, and that helps Vladimir Tarasenko. It helps to have a guy like that on his line. And the other line that he's been paired with a lot was the the Russian trio when it was Ivan Barbashev, Pavel Buchnevich, and Vladimir Tarasenko. And they all think the, the very same way. So they were, you know, cycling the puck, intertwining, cut and drop, all these things. They look like the Globetrotters out there a couple of nights. And I think that that's the type of player that Vladimir Tarasenko needs to play with. Great, great analysis. I can see why you have four different shows or companies you're working for in addition to in addition to your work with Synergy Hockey. Point blank, when I ask you what do you remember most about your one season on Long Island with the Islanders, what is it that you can tell us? 
honestly, the teammates and the people surrounding the organization. I absolutely loved my time on Long Island. I was very pissed off to leave Long Island. I did not want to leave. I wanted to be a part of the solution and not the problem on Long Island. I wanted to be a longtime New York Islander. Uh, as you know, we had we we weren't great, okay, to say the least. It was a tough time as far as wins and losses go. But overall, we had a really great group of guys. You know, you go through the lineup, and I go back every now and then and look at team photos and stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, I miss those guys. And I think that speaks volumes as to, you know, kind of what, what the Islanders at least had in place. It didn't go exactly according to plan. But, you know, I, I loved having Butchie as my coach. Lauren Henning was awesome. Greg Cronin. Yeah, him and Crow and I butted heads a few times, but I don't think anybody – in this hockey world, Crow hasn't butted heads with at some point or another. Uh, you know, yourself and, and Richie and like every Joe, everybody surrounding the team. I, I don't know. I felt like it was a long-term play. It didn't end up being that way, but I loved it. I competed hard. I, I never wanted to lose. And I was extremely proud to wear the Islanders logo. You were a minus four on a team that was – like that, so that's like, I mean, you probably should have got some Norris. <laughs> was, was that the, in terms of your play individually, was it the best full season of your career? It was certainly the most, uh, the most ice time I got. You know, there were games, I remember one game in San Jose, I played like 29 minutes in a game, and I, I couldn't even believe it. Hey, Bots, I, even I was too tired to go out for beers after, and that says something. That's saying something. <laughs> That's really uh, no, it was great. I thought that, you know, I thought the coaching staff put a lot of confidence in me and, and you know, I was put in, in very important situations. I remember Butchie coming to Eric Cairns and I and saying, you know, you guys are going to play against Yarmar Yager every single shift tonight. And, you know, uh, you take that stuff very seriously and, and personally and you want to do well. And so that's why it was a big, a big shock, a letdown, um, you know, whatever, when I, I wasn't, brought back the following season. You know, details of that are still blurry, unfortunately. Um, but it, it is what it is. You know, I, look, you play a long time and you figure out that there's certain things that are in your control and certain things that aren't. But no, that was a really good season. The other couple of seasons that were really good for me were the one season in Detroit, my very first season in Detroit. I had a very good time there. That was a lot of fun. Obviously, you're playing with a room full of, you know, Hall of Famers pretty much, and and you have a role. That's the one thing that the Red Wings were awesome at. Kenny Holland and the coaching staff there were very clear at identifying my role. And when I got there, I knew I wasn't going to be Nick Lidstrom or Chris Chelios or Matthew Schneider or Darian Hatcher. Like, those guys were – they're just fine doing their thing. My job was to go out there and run around and run into people, block shots, compete, and bring energy to the team – and, you know, I did that on a nightly basis, and they rewarded me with ice time. So I was extremely happy to to be able to do that for that team, too. I don't know how vivid it is, because it has been a little more than 20 years since, but do you recall your time just on Long Island in New York? You're somebody who loves rock music, going to concerts, so you have access to New York and a lot of places to go to. Um, did you enjoy the life here? I loved it. Honestly, like when I say I love my time in New York, Long Island, you know, combined, whatever I did. Uh, you know, we, what do you I, remember about it? Uh, to me, I, 
I love the energy surrounding the New York area. You know, Long Island, it's a little more subdued than in the city. But being in Glen Cove, it wasn't, you know, that's where I lived. It wasn't that hard to get into the city. And then, you know, once you figure out where you're going in the city, and we were lucky we had access to certain things. And we got to go to David Letterman's show and a lot of different rock shows in town there. The Hammerstein Ballroom was a place I frequented a few times. And I just loved it. You know, I used to love going to, we had a Saturday night game on Long Island after the game. Uh, you get a ride into the city and you go out for a lake dinner, maybe a few cold beverages after, spend the night in the city, wake up, go get a coffee, walk around, people watch. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. People think I'm crazy sometimes because I'm like, I could totally relocate to New York and be happy. And I don't even need a car. I'll just walk around and take cabs the whole time. I enjoyed the lifestyle very much. The uh, and, You know, I, just you saying that I'm, having flashbacks and i'm missing going we i would sometimes go into hard to believe uh yeah, i would go into the city after a saturday night game um was was there any crazy moments or you know a lot of these shows and you have them on your show right you bring on the guy and say well you know tell me tell me the, the craziest story you could think of of your time was there one from the island there might not be but was there one well, we had a lot of interesting moments that year. Um, I believe one time uh, there was a player that was called up, and I think that people forgot he was called up. And then the next day at practice, there were certain people that didn't know why he was there. <laughs> and then he was sent down the following day after practice, which was uh, interesting. Uh, the it kind of rings a bell. Am I one of the certain people who didn't know why he was there? We grew up, but mostly we were talking about that the coaches didn't know. I don't Mike. think anybody. I don't think anybody knew except for Mike Milbury uh, what was going on um, because a player just showed up at the practice rink and you're like, "Who is this guy?" Type thing. And I don't even know if anybody's ready. He didn't have a jersey. I'm looking at the roster. Who might it have been? Yeah, I. I'm trying to remember too. Um, it was a Russian guy. He was up and down for the most of the year, but this particular time he wasn't supposed to be there. Big Russian defenseman, uh, Chiba. Oh, Chiba. 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 Yeah. You know, I remember about Vladimir Chiba Turkin, his first uh, training camp. He showed up wearing a Mighty Ducks t-shirt. It was a training camp <laughs> with the Islanders. I don't know if anybody in the history of the NHL, and it's very endearing sweet actually and it was the ducks right but yeah. i don't re i don't think anybody has did you ever have a teammate who wore the t-shirt of another team no so we might no. have known something was up so yes vladimir chebaturkin yeah wow. old, so, old so he Chiba. showed up from bridgeport but we didn't but but nobody else knew other nobody knew coaching staff didn't know they wondered why he was in the room and i think i think mike was trying to send everybody a message except maybe he didn't get to the right people the memo as to why there was a player in the room but that was an interesting one uh a fun one was we got our, the doors absolutely blown off of us in long island by the pittsburgh penguins which really you know they had some high powered scoring power on that team and then we had to fly to toronto play the next night so we went from long island to toronto and when we got to toronto butchie uh got up at the front of the bus and was like put your bags in your room and everybody get to my room and we're like oh man and then we had lost bad i think like seven or eight nothing and so, so this is like after you land at like three in the morning two in the morning or whatever yeah it's, wow. it's 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 late and 
So we get to Butchie's room and there it's like a beer paradise. There was beer everywhere on ice. I mean, more than you could even imagine. And Butchie gets us all in the room and uh, he goes, nobody gets to leave until every beer is gone. <laughs> and so he's like, only way to get over a loss like that is to play guilty the next night. <laughs> so we, we bots, we, I personally made sure that, that that task was accomplished with my teammates. And uh, we went on and won the next night in Toronto. And so that, that was a funny moment for sure. That's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know that. And, uh, and I'm surprised he, if he, if he did that, did that after every loss, we would have maybe done better than 24, 48, <laughs> nine, and, nine and one. Oh, man. oh, there's another one too. Um, Brad is Bister. Okay. We, um, the year before, I think it was a year before or two years before. Anyways, is we were playing against the Phoenix Coyotes, and I was with the St. Louis Blues, and we ended up in a scrum in front of the net to where Keith Kachuk, Brad Isbister, everybody ended up falling on top of me, like inside of the net. So you Thank can't you go boys. anywhere. Yeah, oh yeah, you're pinned down. And Izzy took his hand and was like trying to face wash me or suffocate me. But my arms were pinned like underneath me. So I had no recourse spots just except bite his hand. Now, I'm not proud of my actions, but I'd like to think they were self-defense at the time. And so fast forward to where I get picked up by the Islanders. I walk in to the locker room. There's Brad Isbister. The last time we had seen each other, I tried to bite his hand off. And of course, where does my gear end up going? right next to him in the locker room, the empty stall right next to Izzy and in between him and, and Steve Webb. And there I go. And, and Izzy looks at me and he's like, uh, Hey, no biting today, huh? I say, yeah, keep your fingers out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's awesome. Um, great, great stuff. I wanted to come back to one thing. I want to bring you down. Well, we will end on a laugh and then I'll let you go. And thank you so much for doing this. But I did want to talk to you because it's not really comparable to this year's Islanders because they're, they're better, right? There were higher expectations, but I, you know, generally speaking, the final third of the season, when the team is 20 points out, regardless of games in hand, you know, what is that like to still, nobody's throwing a pity party. You're not coal mining. We get this right. You're, you're playing in the NHL, but what is that kind of grind like? And, and, you know, does it teach a lesson? Do we learn more about our players, our coaches, everybody, as you're playing the rest of this season? Yeah, I think this is, this is a pivotal time for the Islanders where they're going to find out who's truly bought in to wearing a logo because you're going to have guys that kind of sort of show up from time to time. Maybe their practice habits start to diminish. There's guys that are going to show you that I'd rather not get involved in this and just get ready for next season. And then you're going to have guys that are absolute warriors out there that go out every single night. doesn't matter if you're 20 points, 30 points, 40 points out of a playoff spot, they're giving you their A game. And I think that if I'm Barry Trotz and I'm the Islanders organization, those are the guys I'm, I'm putting a microscope on. And those are the guys I'm looking to build around moving forward. Cause you have to have a bounce back after this year. You, this stuff can happen but it can't happen two years in a row. 
and you have to make sure you figure out why it happened. And then you want to make sure that you go with the guys that can turn it around. And if I'm on this team, if I'm one of the players, I want every single guy in the locker room to know that I'm one of the guys that you want in the foxhole with you, that I'm a guy that you want to move forward with and have on your team and I want to go out there and compete. And you know what, Butts? You never lose hope. You can't lose hope. And if you lose hope as far as mathematically where you know you're completely out of it, hey, that's a different battle. But then you have to, if I'm a player or if I'm a leader in that locker room, I'm sectioning off the rest of the season in five-game segments. And I'm trying to get my teammates to buy into where we go. You win three out of the five games in every segment. You start to build off of that. So you start to win a couple of segments in a row. And now you're feeling good about yourself. Even though you're still so far behind in the standings, you're starting to build something that's positive for the group. I, uh, I, I'm actually finding this, this second half very interesting. I've watched a lot of it. and sometimes won't. Like, well, check out on some of my teams in all sports when they're out. But because of how it went the way nobody expected, okay, maybe not a cup, but nobody expected this, right? But it's, it is interesting to see what goes on from now to the trade deadline, what happens there, and then what happens uh, later. I'm going to want to try it in on, on a lighter note. You said something earlier when you told the story about the beer drinking and your commitment to doing your part to clear out as many bottles as possible. And I don't mean you, but it, it does, it, it triggers like memories. There were times where I would uh, see, here's my question. What, is it a gift? Is it a, uh, some sort of talent? Is it a, a physical thing that some players, let's say were able to play, still play really well the next day after uh, a night of some excessive drinking, whereas <laughs> some couldn't. Like, did you, and I'm not asking you to name them. You can speak from your own experience if you'd like, but, uh, and of course, I'm not welcome names, but, but is that a thing? Because I would see some guys and be like, oh, we're going to be shit tomorrow. And then, <laughs> and then he'd be perfectly fine. He'd be perfectly good. And I could, and I'm not playing and I feel like crap. Right. So, so what, what's the, you're, you're somebody who's into player development and fitness always were, uh, what's the science behind that? Uh, you know, bots. I don't know if there's an exact science behind it. I think sometimes it's uh, it's brain over body type thing. And you know, for me, as far as playing the next day, and you know me well enough, I never turned my, I never pushed a beer back if it needed to be drank. I would have it, and, and then I would just make sure that I worked even harder the next day. I think that's the biggest thing is the frame of mind of that you're going to go and you're going to just compete. And what, to what level that is, who knows? You know, maybe if you're a goal scorer, maybe you get a couple of really good scoring chances. Hopefully you capitalize. But the one thing with the sport of hockey that is wonderful is you can always outcompete the guy across from you. You don't have to be better than him. You can outwork him, you can outwill him, and you can outcompete him. And so that's the way I always looked at it is no matter what I did the night before, I would rather die than have you outcompete me. And so, therefore, most of the time when you do that, you're going to get the intensity going. And, you know, you put a microscope on yourself. And you, I never, ever thought, that, oh, the coaches don't know I was out last night. I figured they did. And so, therefore, I wanted to put even more of an effort into it. And even my teammates who may have known, oh, you know, Riv was out last night with so-and-so. I want them to look and go, okay, but he means business today. He's not laying an egg out here 
He's not giving up. He's out there working his tail off, and I better keep up or it's going to look even worse because I wasn't out last night drinking. So I think that that's the biggest thing for me is the compete level. This was just outstanding. I, I, this has been so great to catch up. It's been one of the blessings of doing the show. It's a, it's a, it's an excuse. I mean, I could reach out and we, we've seen each other through the years, but not in a long time. And to have you come on and, and give us, you know, 30 minutes of your time and your insights and your stories just has meant the world to me. I, it's so much so that I might ask again someday uh, if there's ever anything I can do for you uh, in addition to rooting for the blue if the Islanders are out of it because I know how much that team means to that city and, and, and means to you and uh, they're an easy team to root for they're not a team to root against um, but thank you so much for doing this Jamie. Yeah no problem Bots. I was thrilled that you reached out to me I'm always available anytime you want doesn't matter uh, day or night and uh, yeah you know I was proud to be an Islander I'm still proud to look back at my hockey DB and see that season and the experience that I got from that. And, and look, getting to meet people like you and that, uh, I'll never forget it. So I was more than happy to help out. Thanks, Andy. Uh, I think fans, you know, we've never had a guy on who said that they didn't like their time. And we're talking about some people who went through stuff, went through stuff with Mike and, had, and didn't yeah. last long. And, and But they love being part of the team and the island. And I think uh, it makes people feel really, really good. You know, they've had this renaissance these last few years and they have an arena, but it makes people feel really, really good. And I didn't know for sure what you would say when I asked the question. I was optimistic, but Thank you for that. I know everybody appreciates hearing from me. Yeah, no, I loved, I loved the fans too. They were awesome. You know, there were games we sold out, there were games we didn't, but I do remember the games where we had lots of people in the building and, and man, they were rowdy and they were awesome. So uh, obviously a positive impact on me. Uh, cool. Great atmosphere. My best to you and we'll see you down the road. Okay. You got it, Potts. Thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Islanders Forecheck, the bonus series of Hockey Press Pass. A huge thank you again to Jamie Rivers for spending a lot of time and telling some incredible stories. Huge thanks, as always, to the entire HPP family, Danny, Ksenia, and, of course, Chris. I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week with a new episode of Hockey Press Pass and a new episode of Islanders Forecheck. We'll see you next time on Hockey Press Pass.